You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management archaeology and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 130 for February 14th, 2018. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk about doing paperless CRM archaeology in disaster areas and best practices with your tech in those types of environments. So charge up your batteries because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. All right, welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today are Bill in California. Good morning. Sonia in Utah. Hi. And Doug in Scotland. Hey, y'all. All right. So uh, this is kind of a special episode, a little bit, if you believe in numbers and all that other stuff. I don't really. That's why we never really call out episodes. I don't. Even, I think episode 100 passed us by, but other, articat, other, other podcasts, they like have a big celebratory show and they make this like three hour long anthology retrospective of their last hundred episodes. I don't even think we noticed it happened. But that being said... Because I've been teaching podcasts here and I had to put in some stats for my podcasting history, I'm aware now that uh, February 11th, which as you're listening to this on Valentine's Day, uh, happy Valentine's Day, is that a thing people say? Anyway, um, as you're listening to this on Valentine's Day, on February 14th, February 11th, a few days ago, was our five-year anniversary of this podcast. And it was... uh, 130 episodes in five years ago. We've never missed an episode. We've uh, we've even actually had some extra episodes. So if you were to add up every two weeks, uh, it's actually less than 130 episodes. But we uh, we we had some extras and some other stuff thrown in uh, as little bonus episodes. So um, actually, I think the number is actually closer to 140 total episodes. But the numbering has stayed consistent. So. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out, and we will have a link to that episode in the show notes in case you want to go back and hear how absolutely horrible it was. But I do want to note, note that the people that were on that episode were Sarah Head, who's now the Archie Fantasies podcast, uh, Bill, Doug, Stephen, and uh, two people that are no longer with the show, Ashley Morton and um, and Russell Allen Willems. So, you know, Russell and, and Ashley, they kind of did some other things and then they fell off for a little while. So we haven't seen them in a bit, but we brought in uh, we brought in Sonia and we brought in Chris Sims for a little while. Chris Sims is now back out. So this is kind of a flow of, uh, you know, a, a fluctuating panel of people that can be on the show. But uh, I just want to thank while they're while they're here, uh, Bill and Doug for doing five crazy long years of the CRM Archaeology podcast. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, nope, no problem. It doesn't <laughs> seem like it's been five years, I can tell you that. Yeah, well, tell that to your headphones. So Yeah, yeah, yeah the headphones <laughs> that are rotting off of my head. Yeah, we were talking about that, the, the, the headphones I bought to do this podcast. Um, they're so old that the foam uh, ear pads uh, have disintegrated, and now whenever I wear them, they just crumble off into my ears, and I can't peel them off because they're <laughs> they're crusted to the, uh, to the speakers. So... Uh, yeah, I was asking, maybe I think after five years, every five years, I'll just get a new set of headphones and just let the mm-hmm. other ones decay into the earth. Nice, nice. And uh, Doug, uh, I'm, I'm glad you've been able to stay with us. You've had to come in and out partly because you're in Scotland, but also because you're kind of a you're kind of a multimedia superstar. Five years on the Serum Archaeology podcast. You were the original host, one of the original hosts with Russell of the Archaeotech podcast, which we've kept going. And you've got your recording archaeology channel on YouTube where, I mean, you've got, Doug, how many episodes do you think are up on that YouTube channel? You guys have covered so many conferences and put all these good information up there. Um, I think at the moment we're around 1,300, but I also have a Jesus. backlog of <laughs> probably uh, a couple hundred. So I'd probably put closer to 1,500 and yeah, now it's nice. now it's getting a little ridiculous. We're um, we're doing a lot of big <laughs> conferences with you know multiple sessions and stuff. So each time we do a conference, it might be like a hundred hundred presentations, if not more. Yeah, yeah. I got a question for you. If people were to use that as a resource, how 
how because I've been on there a few times, but I obviously don't know it as well as you do. How searchable is it? Like are the titles and any descriptions, if somebody wanted to type in the word like, you know, artifact and Europe or something like that, would they find something on there or is it not searchable like that? Um, uh, so <laughs> I'll tell you what it is and I'll tell you what the long term plan is. Um, you can. So. I usually put the paper abstract in the description of the videos and then also the title. So you could search, do like a YouTube search for say Bronze Age or America South, American Southwest or something like that. And then you'd sort of see some of the videos that would pop up. Uh, but it's a bit limited in that um, it's only if they've used those words in the title or in their abstract. And, you know, 200 words is usually what an abstract is, maybe less, maybe 150. That's not really enough to cover what a topic is. Um, YouTube now, I, I can't remember what the, the – there's a certain threshold, but if your video gets 30 or 40 or 50 views, then they will automatically um, transcribe it for you. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think they've they've lowered they keep lowering that so it's sometimes it's quite easy um, if you you know if you register channel and stuff to get your your videos transcribed so in theory each of them has uh, the correct file for um, basically being able to have I don't know about ninety five percent correct um, of the words uh, so so you know if you ever go to a YouTube uh, video and you hit closed caption and if it's a video has more than like you know a couple dozen views you'll most likely see their automated system um so the future is to try to pull that automated system off and put it on another website so you could actually search and be able to you know go through the several thousand words per video that people talk about um Mm -hmm. it it won't be perfect because yeah some of those um those automatic um texts or voice to text are hilarious but other times it gets pretty close <laughs> yeah i'm sure it doesn't handle the uh, archaeology specific terms we use sometimes and then accents are probably a real pain in the ass um actually sometimes it does really well with those archaeology ter- like the terms it gets wrong it's it just i have no idea i'm sure there's a rhyme and reason to it but sometimes it'll be like <laughs> it's and then they'll say instead of that they'll just change it to like that, you know, like that's nice. not they're not even close. Like I don't know how you got that tra- that translation, but you know, it's free, so I can't complain. Nice, nice. All right, well, with that, we're gonna get right into the show. Um, I mean, we've uh, we've used seven minutes just talking about our history. That's the most we've ever talked about like an anniversary episode, which this kind of is. So, but we're not gonna stand on ceremony for that. We're gonna head right into some content. So. Check the show notes for Sierra and Mark podcast episode 129, which is the episode right before this one. And as I'm doing that, I've got hand motions going behind me, but I realize it's audio. Anyway, so check episode 129 because on that episode, Bill brought in two of his colleagues, Ayanna uh, uh, Flewellen and Justin Donovan, I think they were. Bill will correct me on that. And Yeah, no, you're right. Okay. Well, just pull that out. Uh, anyway. So he brought them on, and they're from the Society for Black Archaeologists, of which Bill is uh, is also a member. And they went to St. Croix over this last winter, 2017-2018, and did some awesome archaeology down there. But Bill had some takeaways about recording in that sort of environment. So, Bill, I'm going to throw it over to you to kind of introduce this topic and, uh, and mention what you want to talk about. We'll go from there. As you mentioned before, we covered this a little bit last time. I'm trying to remember all the stuff that we talked about so we don't talk about the same thing again. <laughs> uh, but essentially, uh, we went down there to do some damage assessments on um, the Estate Little Princess, which is the Society of Black Archaeologists field school site, but also because it's a whole community archaeology thing. And you know, and also we want to help communities. We decided that we were going to do a little bit more, um, uh, expand beyond just the estate and do some assessments of other properties where there's either plans to reconstruct or conserve existing buildings, or there's plans to do some more archaeology projects. Um, the people there on St. Croix, they do have a community-based archaeology and historic preservation. It's not really an organized program. It's more like people who are invested in that kind of thing 
just doing different stuff to save and commemorate their heritage. It's, it's actually really amazing. Uh, so anyway, we went down there and I, I brought a tablet-based uh, recording uh, system that I worked with the guys from Codify to put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, I, I guess before in the past, I've had different tap forms and other systems or whatever to record stuff in the field, but I always brought a notebook. But this time, when I got off the plane, I realized I was totally screwed because I didn't bring any notebook. In fact, <laughs> I don't even think I had a pen. I had a, a brand new backpack <laughs> that I was trying out, and it had, you know, my field stuff that I haven't really been using regularly. And I, I you know, I couldn't even find a functioning pen. I had one, like one sharpie, two pencils, and then you know, nothing to write on. So at that point, I realized that, yeah, I'm I'm totally in this now. This is the time when I I don't have anything to fall back on, and I got to figure it out. And it worked really well, but the thing uh, that I that got me thinking is we got there only a few weeks after they'd restored power, and cell reception was spotty slash not even working, and we couldn't find mm-hmm. internet anywhere. The, there, there just was no internet. Well, I mean, there was mm-hmm. internet. So the the restoration effort there on the island, headed by FEMA, the folks that are helping rebuild the community, the helping. Uh, fill in the gaps and expertise. They all stay on a cruise ship. So they're renting out a carnival cruise ship because all the lodging and hotels got destroyed. And so as they repair the power and the infrastructure, they all have internet on their cruise ship, but no one else has internet. So the the side effect was, you know, obviously there's priorities. So food, shelter, safety, you know, public security. And then after that, way down the list is internet, right? So this isn't a priority for humans to survive. But it was interesting that I had this entire tablet-based system that's supposed to be, you know, working on different uh, levels. And it really requires either some uh, some 3G or 4G or something like that or internet. And it didn't have any of that stuff. So we kind of had to change the workflow a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And plus, this was also its beta test. So there was no emailing back to California and saying, hey, guys, this thing's not working. Can you send me an update? Because there, there's no way for them to get an update to me. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I was we were fortunate to have power, but it got me thinking about what do we do when we don't have power? I mean, I found, I found workarounds for not having internet or not having connectability because I had laptops that could be charged up. And actually, the device itself had a big memory. So, I also was frugal on how much video and photos I was taking. I mean, I wasn't um, preventing myself from doing work, but I definitely wasn't taking the full amount of audio and video that I could have. I mean, we did interviews that we recorded on our phones because I wasn't really sure if the thing could handle, you know, that much memory. A two-hour interview with an elder walking through a neighborhood, I didn't know if that would fill up too much memory, so we just used our phones. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I want to, before we really get into some of the options here, I want to say how, how big of a deal this really is because you were in St. Croix and as, as we know, uh, I think I just heard a statistic at a TEDx conference yesterday that 50% of Americans didn't even know Puerto Rico was part of the United States. Like they didn't even know that they were U.S. citizens. This was like an official poll. And St. Croix is part of the U.S. Virgin Islands, is it not, Bill? Is that where it's at? Yeah, so St. Croix is a territory of the United States. Right, right. And we talked about that last time. They have a SHPO. I mean, there's a SHPO for the whole U.S. Virgin Islands, but they have a SHPO. They have the same preservation laws we do. They have everything. So keeping that in mind, and I, Bill, I loved you mentioned in that last podcast, you wish there was like an archaeology strike team that could go down and just do that. But there's something like that just doesn't exist. But, but as we've seen just in 2017 with St. Croix, all the other islands that were around there, especially Puerto Rico, and then the ones you've heard of, let's say Florida and Texas and the natural disasters that happen there, we might be asked as archaeologists and archaeology firms to go in and do emergency damage assessments on some of these areas as part of FEMA funding. And, and I know people were doing that. And you have to assume that none of the infrastructure is going to be working. You just have to assume that. You're not going to have power. You're not going to have internet. You're not going to have cell service. These things are going to come online as they need to, probably cell service first because it's easier to get cell service running, especially if you can put up solar-powered towers and things like that. But uh, but other stuff, 
you might not have it. And so, Bill, this is really great that you got to see this firsthand and, and do this and think about these issues because it really is pertinent to CRM. And then if you work in the West, out here in the desert, it's like it's like that all the time. <laughs> you, you don't have any of those things. Yeah, and I'd say the difference, though, in the West, if you went paperless, though, is you anticipate that, right? Yes. You, you know right. that you're going out in the desert or you're going to be in whatever county and up in the hills. You're not going to have any self-power. You're not going to have any kind of connection to internet. And if you're doing a 10-day session there, you need all your water and all your other food to survive. But you also need uh, you know, solar panels to back up your tablets mm-hmm. and keep things going. However, if you go into a situation like St. Croix, I mean, it's the United States, right? And supposedly they had been working on power for since uh, September, and we got there in December, and 40% of the people still didn't have any electricity. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can't assume basically that going in, if if there was some kind of archaeology delta force and they were going, uh, you know, wireless or paperless, you can't assume that you're just going to be able to plug in. I mean, we the power at the place that we we reserved a place and didn't know it had power, and it luckily got power before we got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you already made your reservations. You're staying there. <laughs> what are you going to do? I mean, and so that's the other thing too that the limitation of the codify system, which it actually worked out well. There's not very much to iron out. There's just a few more things to add. There's not really anything in the workflow or the system that really needs to be fixed so far. Um, but. Uh, it's it's on an iPad mm-hmm. and an iPad charges like a freaking snail. Yeah. Right? So like if you if you if you could go and have lunch for a while at a restaurant and they had power and you could plug in your Android thing in an hour or so it's going to quick charge and it'll give you enough power to survive, you know, a whole day or whatnot. Especially if you're frugal with the power, but with an iPad you're talking like 4 or 5 I don't know how long it takes. I mean, I plug in my iPad when I leave for the kids to watch shows at night. It's so sad because there's several different reasons why, but <laughs> basically I've kind of made the switch to Android, mm-hmm. and uh, now I have all these rad, expensive iPads that are sitting around, and they take half a day to charge for yeah. a kid to watch, you know, four hours of cartoons, and, and it's not that's not really functional. Right. Well, not to get too much into the weeds on that, because I want to talk about power in the second segment, because that's probably one of the bigger issues, because if you don't have power, all the other issues are moot, so... but. Uh, one of the things you can get, and I haven't experimented with this, so I'm not going to talk about it much, but they do have rapid charging blocks because it has to do with the the power output. And and I know other manufacturers do too, but you have to be careful with those. But iPad, Apple actually sells a rapid charging block for um, it. They really intended it for the iPhone 10, and I think the iPhone 8 Plus has that capability because if the battery is not set up for rapid charging, and that's why you can charge your your Android rapidly, is the battery set up for rapid charging. But if the battery is not set up to take in power at that level, it'll explode, you know, or it could explode. And, you know, we know what happened to the Samsung. What was that, the 7 or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say that that's a whole other issue, right? Exactly. Like buying these Samsungs, they are, they're ship, they're getting them out fast. Yeah. They're not spending as much time as the app. They're not, you know, they don't have the same legacy because they were kind of a little bit slower on the draw to mm-hmm. the whole tablets and smartphones. So, you know, most people use some kind of Android device, but if you're using a Samsung, they already have shown you that they'll slop something out there mm-hmm. and the circuits are too close and then it, it burns up. Yeah. So you, you might have something that your airline won't even let be in the cabin or, you know, get out there and then your thing fries. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, do your research when you're heading to those places. So, all right, well, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to ask, you know, before we really get into this, I want to get Sonia and Doug's impressions on using technologies in the field and, and any experiences they've had, because Sonia works in the West here. She's done some stuff. And then Doug works over and has been in Scotland for a really long time. So two very different environments, but similar issues. So we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. In the meantime, Check out this ad from the Archaeology Podcast Network. Go over to archpodnet.com forward slash members and become a member today and help us keep all this stuff going. Back in a second. This network is supported by our listeners. You can become a supporting member by going to arcpodnet.com slash members and signing up. As a supporting member, you have access to high quality downloads of each show and a discount at our online store and access to show hosts on a members only Slack team. For professional members, we'll have training shows and other special content offered throughout the year. Once again, go to arcpodnet.com slash members to support the network and get some great extras and swag in the process. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. Okay, welcome back to the 
apparently five year anniversary episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode one thirty, and we are talking about doing CRM and projects and things like that from a digital standpoint, which really should be the basis of every conversation these days. But when you do those sorts of things, you have to take into consideration the environment you're going to be in. You may not have internet, you may not have power, other crucial things to the process. So uh, as we go talk about some solutions to those sorts of things, before we get into that, Sonia, I wanted to ask you as a business owner, somebody who works in the Southeast or and the... Um, well, I guess really the South, Southeast, and in Utah and the surrounding desert areas, you've been using tablets in the field for a couple of years now on some of your projects. Yep. What are some of the things that you think about before you send your crews out with their tablets as far as keeping the tablet going? <laughs> <laughs> Where is the power source? That's, yes. a, that's a primary question. So we've tried a lot of different options. Uh, we've tried solar, which charges very slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've tried a generator which is um, also charges very slowly, interestingly enough. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure if it's the wattage of the generator, which was actually not particularly small. Uh, but given mm-hmm. the number of tablets that we have to charge, it took hours to get those things charged, fully charged. And we're using a tablet oh, yeah. battery, like a full battery every day. Mm-hmm. Um uh, then the next uh, was the vehicle itself. Um, can we uh, charge some of our tablets or some of our equipment using the um, the little plugs that they're that, or the converters mm-hmm. uh, that are in the vehicle? And uh, we've had mixed results with everything. Nothing charges as fast as being in a in a hotel room with a plug with an outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, even generators uh, take a take a little bit of time, um, and uh, I mean y- you could mix it with a um, with a, a combination of all of them, or you could also try uh, those little what are they the uh, the battery uh, power storage chargers. Yeah. Those will keep your tablet surviving for an hour or two, uh, but they're not going to they're not going to be ideal to carry with you because mm-hmm. they're heavy, you know? Yeah. I mean, it may, may not even be a pound, but you add that to your backpack or whatever. It just, it just becomes a little cumbersome. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've had problems with, uh, with cell coverage issues. And in that case, we usually just get a, um, a sat phone, mm-hmm. but you have to charge the sat phone. So, so how do you, how do you want to, how do you want to handle it? Um, most of our GPS units uh, that we use in the field in the southeast are battery powered, and uh, we've we've done some tests using either lithium batteries, or, uh, not either, but both lithium batteries versus regular alkaline batteries, and have had pretty much exactly the same results. Um, I don't know why, but when you're using a Garmin, uh, eight to ten hours a day, uh, it sucks up battery power from both different types of batteries the same you're just paying you know one and a half times as much when you get a lithium than you are when you get the alkaline so most of our gps units um with the exception of our trimbles which obviously are a different um a different problem uh, we just use battery batteries now we go out to costco or sam's club and we purchase 10 packs of you know, 50 batteries and um, use use those as much as we can. Uh, for cell phones, uh, in the evenings, we can usually use uh, some of those battery chargers, but they need to be recharged. So we try to get those on to the uh, power converters in the car. Like, it's a complicated switcheroo of everything. And I know I'm not really helping, <laughs> but when you're desperate for power, uh, you use whatever you can get your hands on. And and one other thing, the generators are freaking loud. If you're out <laughs> camping and you're planning on running a generator for three hours or mm-hmm. four hours just to get all the equipment powered up, you're going to need to block it with trucks and you're going to need to set it as far away from camp as possible because it is disruptive right. and it will harm your hearing. Yes just want to throw that in there. I know. And and let me uh let me throw that out too because I 
I remembered using the uh, using a generator on, on a camping project one time, and we weren't even charging up tablets. They weren't using tablets. They were just charging up the trimbles. We had a cut like three or four trimbles, and then I think a laptop that somebody was using for processing data at the end of the day. So that's what was getting charged. But the generator had to run for you know the minute we got back to camp at about three thirty or so in the afternoon until we were all going to sleep. You know, yep. somewhere between nine and ten, the generator was just running, and it was so disruptive. We were in a beautiful, pristine area in the middle of the high desert in Nevada, and it was just ruining everything with this generator. And not only that, not only was it you know ruining our peaceful time at the end of the day, but we had to take in, we had to bring so much fuel with us <laughs> with that generator to run. And uh, it was a pain in the ass. Now, I will say a generator costs a couple hundred dollars, right? You can get one for pretty cheap, honestly. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to do it a lot, I would honestly say, take a look at the uh, the goals, uh, not the goal zero, the Yeti. Is it the Yeti? Um, yeah, I think it, maybe it is goal zero. The goal zero Yeti or something like that. It's an electric generator. So it's not a generator at all. It's a massive battery pack. So you plug this thing in your office at home. It takes a couple days to charge up, but it also takes like three or four days to fully charge down. And it will run a full-size refrigerator for three days on a single charge. So charging your tablets for a 10-day session is not that big a deal. Also, if you pair that with either uh, wiring it into your truck, so every time you're driving your truck, it's actually charging the generator. You don't have to do anything if you hardwire it in. Or if you get their solar panel pack and you just leave it at camp and it just charges all day. Now it'll be a trickle charge because it's solar power. But if you've got that constantly plugged in from the second that you get out there, it might not be that big a deal if you've got the sunlight. And most of the places you're working, you do have the sunlight. But the, the benefit of this is it really is just a huge battery pack and it's not noisy. So yeah, Actually, anytime you're in the forest, you don't get squat for sunlight. Just as well, there you go. So, <laughs> so, so plugging it into the vehicle, I, I, <laughs> I think hard, hard mounting it in the back of the truck or something like that, if you have that ability. Now, obviously, you don't always have that ability, but hard mounting in the back of the truck and then having that be the place where you charge things and having it charge off the truck while you're running it, I think is the kind of the way to go. Um, but, uh, okay, so let's move on because we're limited on time here. Doug, I want to hear some solutions you've either done or heard about over in Scotland in the UK in environments that are completely opposite of what Sony and I are talking about and even what Bill is talking about. Because, you know, over in the UK, you've got to deal with almost year-long moisture, rain, cold, mud, <laughs> things like that. So what kind of technology mitigation things have, have you heard of or, or do you know of what's going on over there? Um, so the UK is, uh, different as we've discussed. Um, yeah. I'd say it's probably closer to working on say like the New England area in the sense of even if you're out, you know, outside of a city, you're not too far away from civilization as it were. Um, essentially we have issues when we go up into the highlands um, in that, you know, especially on some of the islands, uh, the power may give out. But for the most part, um, you're basically going to be either on a site or so an actual construction site that will have its own generators, um, especially for urban projects. We'll, we'll do a lot of work as the, you know, as they're doing the construction. So, we usually have access to power that way. Um, and they'll have, you know, can site huts, which are just portable cabins that they take out, have power set up, really nice generators. You don't have to worry about it. Um, the only time we've really run into issues um, is basically once, so we had a mobile museum, which was a, a converted shipping container. Um, and so we need power for mm -hmm. that so we could take it to like parks and things like that. And we just used a generator. Um, it was a bit loud, but we just put it behind it so that the uh, portable, you know, the shipping container acted as a, a sound wall. Um, the only other thing I use is, you know how now there's, you get those extra phone battery chargers with the USB where basically you yeah. plug it in and it gives, I don't know, five, six extra hours on your, your phone. Um, there's a company that does a bigger version of that that actually has, um, like, so instead of a USB, you can actually get a, a plug, so like a, a normal outlet plug. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's a giant battery. And basically it's the equivalent of 
you know, if you have a laptop, it's like carrying a second laptop battery lighter, um, but you get the same amount of time out of it. So if you need to extend your laptop right. from five hours to 10, you can do that. Um, that's, that's the only thing that we've used. And occasionally we use it mainly for like, yeah, if we're on the islands or in the highlands where the power might give out and we still don't want to lose that day, um, we'll plug in laptops and power to those sort of things. Um, but again, you're so close to civilization all the time. You basically just go back in the evening and plug everything into charge. So you don't have to really worry about remoteness, um, except in like a few occasions. Mm -hmm. okay. So sorry, that's, that's not much of a insight other than to say, um, <laughs> if you really want the, those nice battery pack, um, chargers work wonders and I use them, mm -hmm. um, and they're great. And we usually don't have to do too much hiking either. So you're not looking at a lot of weight to be carrying, you know, you're not doing mm -hmm. 10 miles of hiking each day or anything like that. Um, surveys tend to be close enough to some sort of town or hamlet or B&B &B that you're, you're fine for power. Yeah. Okay. Well, it sounds like power is definitely the, uh, obviously the biggest issue with all this, as we mentioned in the beginning. So, um, Bill, now that we've heard from everybody else, let's get to you and what your actual, um, solutions for this stuff was. Yeah. So what I did, I mean, uh, in some ways, because I did have power, it was kind of just a trial to see what would happen. But, uh, I mean, I changed the settings on the tablet, of course, like that true view or whatever the hell, the stuff on the iPad mm. that makes it, you know, super vibrant that went away. I turned down a lot of the animations too on when you sw swipe right to left so that it's not wasting a bunch of power on all those other things. And I took away the, what's that? When you take a photo and it has a half second of video beforehand to make it look like you're oh, you live, live videos. Yeah. So I took away that yeah. and changed the settings so that it was a bit more economical, but of course you can't really turn the screen brightness down that much when you're out there because you kind of need it to be bright to see what you're doing. So that wasn't really an option. I just, you know, optimized that. And then I optimized my phone, of course, so that it wasn't always searching for a signal so that the battery would last longer. So all of those things would make, the the tablet and the phone last longer. In fact, I I realized that I probably could have used the iPad for what we were doing out there, just recording points and taking photos and videos and stuff. A fully charged iPad, probably I could have used it for a couple days because um, we weren't watching movies and it mm -hmm. wasn't trying to constantly connect to the internet. I turned off the uh, the Wi-Fi, so it wasn't always trying to search for a signal. It really could have lasted two days for what we were doing, just simple uh, recording points, filling out forms online, taking photos and some videos and um, just, you know, basics of what you would do with archaeology. And then my phone was the one that was draining a lot because, you know, we're using that to text and answer emails and talk to other people wherever you could actually get a signal. So that was the one that really needed the most attention. But over the years, I had several systems um, – I already used to bring some things in Arizona and some other stuff uh, whenever I'd go other places that would be power backups like everybody's talking about. So if you if you manage your devices and you don't have to use them uh, so much, then you can make them last longer. But I always had a Sherpa, um, the Goal Zero Sherpa 50, I think. It's a little one that has USB plug-ins. And that thing, when it's fully charged, can last for a long time. And that's what I take camping so my kids can watch cartoons and stuff and the you know we can power up lanterns and other things with that uh those little mini led lights and whatever we need when we go camping and i mean i've taken that thing and just frugally used it before on four or five days um stay in, in yosemite with my whole family like charging their phones and doing all the stuff off of it and it still had about 25 percent power on a full charge of you know charging up two full smartphones all the way charging up those led lanterns and letting my kids watch cartoons at night for an hour or two i mean that that thing it lasts a long time i've had it many years mm -hmm. uh, i do cheat i have the the um the solar panel to charge it and it would take about a day or half a day to charge it all the way up but i just cheat when we get to a hotel and charge it all the way 
And then I also have, and I've used for a long time, one of the Nomad 7 uh, solar panels. So that thing's not really going to charge the Sherpa 50 very much. It, t- it would take, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I think three, four days to charge that thing all the way up. But what it is good at is keeping cell phones either going or charging them all the way. So I can, I used to be, I don't, haven't tried it in a long time, but I used to be able to charge my iPhone 4 from pretty much zero all the way to 100% in about four or five hours just with this little miniature um, solar panel. Or I could keep a little MP3 player that we used to listen to music to out in the field. I could charge that thing once and it would last two or three days of 20 to 30 hours of just listening to music on a little MP3 player. So that thing is great for keeping those smaller devices, your phones, if you needed to um, Mm -hmm. power up like a digital SLR battery or something like that and you had the right adapter, you could do that. But it's not really going to be able to handle a, a laptop. So the the Nomad 50, especially if you get the plug-in adapter thing to it, that can keep all your devices mm-hmm. going for one individual for a while. So if you're thinking about an individual who's going to be part of this group that's going to go out and do um, recording of sites or you know just a normal CRM company, if every group of uh, employees had a tablet and one of those 50s and then both people had one of those little seven uh, solar panels or the bigger, the next bigger one that will actually charge the Sherpa 50 – hypothetically, you could keep them going for two or three days without needing any kind of charge, without having to plug it into a, mm-hmm. a truck to power up the power packs or anything, no generators or anything. You should be able to keep them going for a couple of days. And then if you had that big box that you're talking about, the Yeti 500 or whatever, I mean, yeah, that thing is basically for a whole village. But the thing is, you're not going to be able to fly with that. You can, che- you can check that or you can carry that mini lithium ion sherpa 50 in your backpack onto the plane but you're not going to be able to carry that massive uh car battery sized box onto an airplane right (laughs) every two or three days you're going to need some kind of power whether it's a generator yeah or whether it's coming from the wall or something like that that's just basically the biggest limitation of uh going paperless but i would have to say to everyone out there who immediately saying, see, that's exactly what I said. You should never forget paper. That's the way of the future paper. It's served us for so long. The stuff that I did there with the tablet in St. Croix is head and shoulders over what could have been done with paper. And the amount of time that I saved on building relational databases and other stuff and having all the photos, oh yeah, you know, all archived and attached to features and, and doing the work with, uh, codify and and the app that we created or that they created that i was using out there it's way better than what i could have done with paper way better so that i mean do you want to do excellent work or do you want to stay carrying 40 pounds of paper or do you want to carry three or four pounds of a a ion a lithium ion pack and a tablet out there because the people who use paperless if they can get access every three or four days are going to run rings around the people who are still using paper yeah. And I, you know, just as we close out this segment too, I, I will say one final thing on that is especially in an area like that, if you manage your power correctly and you bring out those tablets, um, you know, you would have to bring out, if you're, if you're bringing out paper to a project like that and you don't know what you're going to do, you, you have to bring out more than you think you'll need. So you'll have all this paper that you're bringing because you also are not bringing a, a copy machine you're, and, and who knows if there's going to be some place to actually make extra copies of the forms that you're using. Uh, even if you can just buy extra paper, maybe everything is literally closed down. It's easier for you to actually create power through some of these methods or bring your own power than it is to find paper in a disaster area. You know, I mean, it's unless you just break into somebody and loot some paper. So um, anyway, you know, that's that's another thing entirely. But and if you do bring a travel printer, but you need to print lots of stuff, uh, you know, you still have to bring supplies for that. So we're trying to think of things where, you know, you can't plug it in or something like that. And, and most printers, you can't plug into one of these battery pack things unless you have like a like a generator or something to plug it into. So anyway, uh, we're going to close out this segment and come back and wrap all this up for segment three. In the meantime, go to arcpodnet.com forward slash shop to check out our new things and our new T public site where you can get some pretty awesome stuff with our, our logos on it. So we'll be back in a second for... Episode 130 wrap up. The Archaeology Podcast Network has partnered with T Public to bring you some awesome gear that looks good, promotes archaeology, and puts a few pennies in our pockets so you can get free podcasts. Check out our designs at arcpodnet.com slash shop. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop. 
Okay, we're back for the final segment of the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 130, and we are talking about recording in basically adverse conditions, you know, or no conditions whatsoever, like, you know, disaster areas and stuff like that. So, and how you're going to do it. I, I did want to make one comment on solar because I, I feel like, I feel like a lot of people don't think of using solar or even battery, uh, you know, like a, like a battery generator or battery packs in the right way. Um, you don't want to overstress these things with solar, you know, this, you know, the charge is going to be slow. So you can't think of it the way you would think of charging up. If you were going back to a hotel room every day, if you're going back to a hotel room every day, you'll run your battery down and then you'll just plug it in at the end of the night. This is what we did for eight months at my China Lake project. I charged a tablet. I charged eight tablets up every single night and they were hundred percent charged in the morning because we could just plug them into the wall. Right. And you do that with your phone every day. You do that with your laptop. You do that with all your stuff. You let the charge go all the way down to nothing. And then you plug it in and you charge it up. Well, when you're when you're working in areas where power is your primary concern, you can't think that way. And if you have batteries and you have solar panels to charge those batteries, you need to be charging them even when they're fully charged. And what I mean by that is the minute you get set up somewhere, the minute you have the ability to lay out your solar panels and plug them into that battery, even if it's not discharged all the way, plug it in because that little trickle charge to top off that battery is going to be better than waiting three days for the battery to charge once it's fully depleted. You don't want that. You want to always have as much battery power as you possibly can because you never know when you're not going to have the ability. If you, let's say you wait two days because you're you're in St. Croix, you wait two days to charge up your portable batteries with your solar panels because you've been busy. And then on that day, you go to charge up your solar, your batteries with your solar panels, another hurricane's on its way in. It's starting to get cloudy and it's not getting effective sunlight. It, it will still charge in cloudy conditions, but not as well. So, you know, just think of those things. Um, you have to think of things differently when you're using solar and when you're using battery power solely. So, um, and always have them, always have them charged up. And then, you know, keep in mind too, when you're using these electric generators or battery packs like Bill put up there, we'll have these links in the show notes or uh, or even solar panels, they put out a certain amount of wattage. And if you plug in too many devices into these things, it's like a it's like a multi-lane freeway, right? The more the more lanes you put in there, the more cars you can fit in there. But it's they're all taking their one chunk of the same freeway, no matter how wide the lanes are. <laughs> so if you put too many on there, they're all just charged slow. So if you do like one at a time, it'll probably charge a little faster depending on the power output of the unit. Bill, did you have any insight into that? Yeah. And that's why I was, you know, portability is also to me key. So a lot of these things I figured out when I was in Arizona, where we do walk a million miles, you know, 20 mile day is not out of the ordinary. I mean, it sucks, but 10 miles or so of walking is a normal, a normal day with recording sites and such. 20 miles would be a stretch, but if you're trying to get it done and you're also at a site recording features and moving back and forth, you know, that's more and more steps that you're taking. So you you definitely do not want to be loading up with all this extra gear, right? But the other mm-hmm. thing that we had to deal with in um, St. Croix that, I mean, it was just, it was brought to my attention, not really that huge of a concern, but made me remember my old days of Washington is water. Oh, yeah. Because rain happens and that's just all there is to it. So not only do the clouds diminish your ability to power this kind of stuff up with the solar, but also your devices will get wasted if they get water in them, right? And the other thing about being in the field with water is it's not just getting the water on the thing. It's getting water in your bag, in your backpack, um, inside of its case that's supposed to be keeping it from shock absorption and all this other stuff. I mean, that is actually a serious concern. So... Uh, the case that I was using out there was not, I guess, LifeProof has gone under or they're not making cases anymore because they didn't have any any waterproof cases. Uh, that LifeProof, mm-hmm. if, if you don't know, is a kind of um, tablet and phone case system that uh, cover. I've mainly used them on my phones. In fact, I don't even get the insurance anymore. I just get a LifeProof and then it lasts two years mm-hmm. and then I need to get another one. I mean, I've taken video in my pool under the water. I've jumped into rivers with my phone in my pocket and it never has failed me yet. One time in the ocean playing with my kids, taking videos with my phone, a life proof case, I swear by it. Well, I couldn't get one for the um, tablet this time. So I was really concerned because it was only water resistant, right? So if it's water resistant, not only do you have to worry about water getting on the device and then inside the, the case, but water getting in your backpack that then you put it away safely inside your backpack. So I used to always have these combinations of different dry drying rags and bandanas and stuff and then the small wet bags like the river 
rafting wet bags that you tried to keep water out of to keep my stuff dry, like mm-hmm. my paper dry, right? But out there, I realized that um, all these systems, if water, they're just, they're kind of not even really a thing that you can do if it's raining. If it rains all day, if it rains for two or three days, you kind of can't pull that power pack out. And you have to be very vigilant that water gets in your backpack and inside your dry bag that it would ruin that entire uh, power pack. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know what the way around that is. Yeah. I, I don't know either, honestly, but the, uh, I'll make a quick comment on life proof for some reason they do make cases for almost everything still, but the only thing they don't make a case for is the iPad mini four. They stop supporting it. If you have a one, two or three, they do make that. They have an iPad, the nude case for iPad pro 10.5 inch and the nude case, the N U U D case, just so you guys know, it doesn't have a screen protector, but it's a tight fitting case that makes it waterproof. Um, which is, which is pretty crazy uh, when you look at it. Um, but anyway, that's what they, that's what they make now. But for some reason, they completely stopped supporting the iPad Mini Four, which is really frustrating. I think they got scared that Apple was going to pull it, but then they never did, and then they never came out with a new iPad. So, I mean, there's the also no protection on. for the um, those power packs or those, and, and even before when I've used oh, the yeah. solar panel in the rain, you've got to take it down, you got to wipe it off because the wire, the um, USB that connects your phone or whatnot. Mm-hmm to the panel is a weak spot. I mean, the panel itself can get water on it, but then you've got to try to find some kind of way to protect the cord, which I've done before mm-hmm. several times, even though it's not record or charging as efficiently. So the actual solar panel will not be damaged by water. However, I haven't, I haven't right. dunked it in water. You know, I try to take care of it by keeping it in a plastic bag if it's going to be rainy. But I mean, that's just a whole nother level of vigilance. And I mean, this, that level you would have to have if you had paper anyway. And in fact, you might even have to have even higher yeah. level of vigilance for paper because if one drop gets on your whole pad, it can kind of ruin the graph paper or, you know, it can really mess if your um, binder gets soaked or water gets in your waterproof clipboard. I mean, that that's catastrophic. Well, it's just as bad if it gets in there on your electronic stuff. Mm-hmm. Sonia, you had a comment. Yeah, I was just going to add uh, for for equipment that's back at camp, um, and this is assuming we're camping. Um, I've uh, in the past I've taken to uh, purchasing some wooden or plastic um, like shipping mm-hmm. pallets, bringing them with us, and then setting up uh, equipment that is sensitive um, on top of that, and that's then just idea. covering it with tarps. Um, uh, that way it's separated from the ground. There's, there's, uh, it'll stay dry. Um, we've even used it, uh, on some of our camping projects, uh, for showers, actually. Um, you set your shower, your solar shower up, you hang it. And if you have like a little privacy screen, which we, I usually insist on, (laughs) you know, cause you know, awkward, uh, (laughs) then you set that up on top of a pallet, like a plastic pallet. And uh, that way people don't get their feet muddy or anything or stuff doesn't poke through the bottom of the um, of the of the little privacy tent mm-hmm. if it has a base on it. Um, and you basically keep everything clean when it rains mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, life proof and that sort of stuff. I've had very little luck with those because they scratch up all the time and they make it really difficult to. Um, to use the touch screens. Mm-hmm. This is, these were the old ones and I gave up using on using them a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I was like, these aren't even going to last. I scratched the screen when I pull it out of my pack. Right. So that was kind of lame in my opinion. <laughs> uh, but uh, technology and I don't get along just in case I haven't mentioned that in the last, you know, two years yeah. of me doing this. Um, if you need to have problems or, or, or things checked or tested for whether or not things can go wrong, just call me mm-hmm. because, because I can destroy things. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, anyway, I, I will say one thing with, as, as we go farther along here, one of your, your absolute kind of worst case scenarios, um, and, and it's becoming a more viable scenario as we move along in time here, but tablets are actually getting a lot cheaper. So something people don't really think about a lot. I mean, we think a lot about protecting these things, but let's, let's put this together. If you have an iPad mini that you paid $350 for a case for that is going to cost you a hundred to $120. Now that's a third of the cost of the thing. If, if you're getting like a life proof or OtterBox case for it and, and it's going to last, you know? Um, so if you just put that into perspective a little bit, 
Sure, put the expensive case on it, but then if the tablet gets destroyed, you know, go to go to Apple, go to Gazelle. Uh, that's a good place to get refurbished tablets. Apple has refurbished tablets. You don't need to buy a brand new one if you're using it for field work. You just need to buy one that works and make sure it's from a refurbished area. So, if you get a refurbished tablet, you can get them for two hundred dollars sometimes, two to two hundred fifty dollars, and and go to town on that. Now, that's not really a lot of money considering the money you're saving and the amount of data that you're collecting with these things and the amount of time you're saving in the office. So my point to all this is always have a couple spare tablets. If one of those gets destroyed, <laughs> you drop it in a river or it gets destroyed by floodwaters, have an extra one. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. What it's, uh, yeah, my sister used to live with me. And when she was a teenager, we'd always say, if you have to wear clothes with your clothes, then you're not wearing clothes. And that's the same thing. If you've got to bring a tablet for your tablet, then you're not really actually, in fact, you haven't emancipated yourself. I mean, these are workflow issues that we got to figure out. We can't just always be having this bandolero of tablets out there and you just pull another mini out off of your chest strap and, and, you know, power it up. And then there we go. We've got to find some kind of a way for these things to work. I've got a I've got a clip belt instead of instead of clips and ammo it's all tablets it's just like a bam 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 it's my it's my bat belt for tablets well, yeah I'm not I'm, I'm not joking that because mine's full of beer <laughs> we always bring at least two backups of each item yeah. uh, with the exception of maybe a tremble in which case then we bring one backup right. trust me I've destroyed I've destroyed a tremble oh my yeah. gosh happening in the in the back chat you're telling me how you're destroying things that i had for many years that i used <laughs> you know many times like, how tech stops working it, i can't if if any like any of the listeners know who i am mm. um you will usually hear me on a project say okay who's taking the technology i may i, I may deal with like my t- my tablet because it's my tablet and I know it's quirks, but every single time I'm trying to work with a GPS or a, like a like a Garmin GPS or a Trimble or or some sort of other technology, it it like powers down and uh, <laughs> things stop working. Oh, like so the touch yeah. screens on the Trimbles refuse to work for me. <laughs> I don't know why. It's only like 80 degrees outside and all of a sudden the touch screen Sonya, doesn't work you anymore. Be, you need to go to the X-Men school. You have special powers because I don't know what you're talking about. These I, things I work fine for me. Powers. I don't know. Go, yeah, go Call ask Professor X what to do because we don't know about you. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm always the one saying I'll be filling out the paperwork. It's not because I'm being lazy. It's because the tech doesn't operate it doesn't function like i know how to use Mm -hmm. it but all you have to do like here's an example i go to the verizon store quite frequently because of tech problems right um a lot of our tablets or my cell phone Mm -hmm. or or uh or or my personal tablets right whatever when i walk in the store every person who works there takes their phone and puts it in their back pocket they don't let me touch their phones they don't let me touch their tech because once I touch it, like I said, it stops Rogue, working. you need to go to the X Men school. <laughs> I'm not doing anything but holding it. My husband won't even let me touch his phone anymore. Oh my god! You know, normally you'd think that that's kind of suspicious, right? Oh no, my if I touch it, it stops yeah. working. Wow. Well, yeah. I. I yeah, it's a I treat. think with all this uh, with all this comment on Sony's use of technology, however, we're still talking about <laughs> not just switching back to paper. We still think this is a better thing, even though there are. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> use technology by all means. Just be aware that there are some people out there who have magnets in their yeah. blood and uh, and need to find an alternative. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it works for a project. Sometimes it doesn't work for a project. You just never know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. We are real. I promise. <laughs> I know now. I we thought it was to. just I handed it to a you know three year old and they trashed my tablet, but now I know that there's this. You can maybe not outgrow it. It's a lifelong yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. No, it is. I think yep. I saw Sonia at a conference just gnawing on the edge of a tablet, though. Maybe that's what's doing it. I'm not really sure. <laughs> oh, that would <laughs> All right. So in the last two minutes of the show here, do you guys have any final thoughts on this? Any any takeaways you want people to take? Uh, you know, Bill, you had some really good experience doing this. If you could say maybe one thing that people take away from this, what would it be? What would it be? 
just re- we're in the beginning stages, right? So all our workflows that we had for paper, um, uh, having you know a blank backup or just even a straight up notebook, right? That you can uh, write things down. Uh, those those are still options, but just like with the tablet, moving forward, we're going to have to develop those. Okay. So we're still trying to figure it out. And, um, you know, like I said, it's working. I survived and I actually did well. And I did, you know, a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have been able to do with just, uh, just paper alone, but, or it would have taken, you know, three people to do what one person can do in about 15 to 20 minutes. It could have taken them about an hour to write all this stuff down, the descriptions, log it all, get it all tucked away. And then still we'd have to go back somewhere and use a laptop, right? So that's what we're, we're trying to mm-hmm. avoid. We've been talking about that for a long time. But there's some true methodological things that we have to work out. Water, sunlight, power, they're all things that we have to deal with. And not only the type of information you recorded, Bill, but what about the post field? Uh, how easy was that if you've dealt with all the information you guys had yet? I mean, it's really just an export and then deal with it now. Yeah, it was exported. And then, you know, so I was, like I said, I wasn't fully without everything. I had a laptop and it has a decent battery. So every day I could plug in mm-hmm. and back up the way that the thing set up. Um, the uh, app that we were using is set up. It backs up. It backs its own self up when you have it open every um, like 15 seconds. So at least you're getting the very basic UTMs, descriptions, mm-hmm. and codes and everything. So that's all backing up. So you get that Excel file every day. And then all your photos, you back those up. And then... Um, you know, that only happens like once a day. So that takes minimal power on your laptop. Uh, and then uh, the post, the processing, mm-hmm. I mean, you have to go through and edit. Uh, it also has a thing that it's not field finished until someone has actually edited the text. So you open up all the descriptions. It has a, um, mm-hmm. you speak into, the, I mean, we can talk more about this later, but you speak into the uh, description thing, you turn on the microphone yeah. and you just speak right into it. And then you have to go and correct your own grammar and put, um, you know, uh, change words that were maybe not uh, mm-hmm. translated the same. So that takes some extra time. But when you finish, you've got relational databases that you can, you know, your photos are connected to them. Your, uh, you can compare features and, and places yeah. where they're at on the map and you can get a good idea of where they're at. Just within seconds, you open up FileMaker Pro and you can just start building queries and looking for things and relationships right away. And you don't really have to do that whole put it all into Excel, scan paperwork, store it on a server, get it all. I mean, yeah, you, it's all saved into a laptop. And then when you get that laptop back, it all just goes onto the server or the, or the hard drive and it's just stored. Nice. Okay. Well, on that note, I think we will end this discussion. There's always uh, there's always a lot more to talk about with this because it's a rapidly changing space. And and I'll just I'll just finish by saying one of the things that we mostly talked about here was power, and that's one of the easiest things we're going to solve moving forward in time as as a technologically advanced civilization, you might say, because that's one of the things that's being worked on constantly is better batteries. And I think we're rapidly moving to a space where batteries are just not even we're not even going to think about it. They're going to charge wirelessly and they're going to last forever. And that's just what we're moving to. Just think about batteries 10 years ago or even five years ago and how long those lasted. I mean, the the battery in my watch now, you know, doing workouts and running stuff all day, I've got 50% left by the end of the day. Um, And it's just, it's kind of amazing. Now it's a low power device, but even the first generation of this wouldn't last all day if I ran a long workout on it. So um, anyway... That, that technology is getting better, so I'm glad we're talking about mitigating it, but it's a problem that's also solving itself while, while we're solving it as well. So that's it, everybody. Um, thanks for listening to the show. If you've got anything that you're doing in the field and very adverse or unique conditions and you're using technology, uh, send us a comment in the show notes uh, or wherever, wherever you saw this on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, the contact info for all our hosts is on the uh, show notes page at arcpodnet.com forward slash CRM arc podcast forward slash 130 or any of the episodes really and check that out. So thanks a lot and we'll see you next time. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.arcpodnet.com slash CRM arc podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at 
arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. Adios. Bye. He's not even unmuted yet, and he's doing a countdown. <laughs> Son of a bitch. See you guys. <laughs> <laughs> This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle, in Reno, Nevada, at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.